When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Monday edition of The Yard. I'll give you a little programming note. You know, next week, I guess it's next week. Is it next week? No, it's not next week. Or maybe it is. I don't know. But either way, I am going to be on vacation here in about 10 days or so. So we're going to have some scheduling changes because I want to make sure that you guys get taken care of while I'm away but uh, we'll still get you your shows but they may come in a different order let's just say that so as we get a little bit closer I'll give you guys the schedule there but uh, I'm not going to completely abandon you though I'm going to take some time to myself I I rarely do that but I hadn't had a family vacation in years but going to have one this year normally I'm in Omaha as I've shared with you guys before and so uh, that's always kind of the plan, and then this year when it looked like State wasn't going to make it, we decided, you know what, let's take a trip together, so we're going to do that. So, full complement of shows this week, barring something unforeseen, should be your regular schedule, and then, uh, you know, we'll take a look and see what we need to do uh, the next week. So, yeah, next week I will be uh, leaving, I guess, on Wednesday, so what we'll do is it will probably be a two-show week. We may miss a show. Just kind of depend on how I feel, I guess. Uh, but we'll do a Monday show and probably a Tuesday show and then come back, um, you know, the next week and kind of get caught up with you guys. So there will be an, an interruption, shall we say. Don't anybody think anything's wrong with me. I'm just living life. But uh, I will give you more on that you know, maybe early next week, kind of let you know what I want to do. Because I'm not going to work. I'm on vacation. We're not in season right now. Now, this week, we do have our first two Mississippi State football prospect camps. Paul Jones and I will be uh, providing full coverage from those events. I will miss uh, the camps the following week. But the main camp is a top dog camp this weekend. And we'll come back again in July and have a top dog camp. And we'll have, uh, you know, wall-to-wall coverage on that. So be looking for that. These camps are big, as I kind of touched on last week, because there are a lot of prospects right now that are, like, on the cusp of either an offer or Mississippi State getting serious about getting them committed. Many of those will be on campus this weekend. And uh, so we're about to see business pick up a little bit, not just for us, but kind of around the country as these these camps kind of get underway, eager to kind of see how that all unfolds. Uh, And it's a good thing, too, about having the uh, Palmero Center. We can still get some work done, you know, in-house in the event there is some weather. But um, all of that said, a lot's fixing to happen. Now, we're expected to get a little bit of rain this weekend. But I don't think that's going to really intrude on what we want to get done. And there are a lot of guys, too, we just want to get to campus. We talked last week about Chris Parson, current Florida State quarterback commitment. I do not believe that commitment sticks. I know he went there this past weekend. There have been some uh, 
interviews and some media reports about that. But uh, he is expected to visit us this weekend. Now, keep your fingers crossed. You know, this time of year, things change. And this is a young man, too, that committed to Florida State very, very early with the understanding that he would be the quarterback in the class. And this weekend, they're bringing in uh, Brock Glenn and uh, a couple other players, I think, quarterbacks on official visits. So he's going to be with us. It's one of those things, too. It's like you make a commitment to a young man, and then even if things change, you've got to be able to navigate that with, um, you know, some caution. I think it's an important part of it. You know, it's when you're beginning a relationship, and this is not insignificant type commentary. You know, this is about your career. This is about your college playing days. And so you get the opportunity to play. You want to be able to get on the field. And so I don't think Chris Parson is anyway scared of competition, but I think there is a trust factor there too. Well, you told me one thing, and then now you have changed. Uh, it's kind of reminiscent in some respects of the Chris Garrett situation. Remember years ago, Chris Garrett committed to state very early. And it was kind of the understanding. Chris is our guy. And the next thing you know, we offer Tyler Russell. And, uh, I, I mean, within moments of that news being broke or broken, I find out, hey, we'll be looking elsewhere. Heard that uh, from the Garrett family. And so they did. He signs at LSU. Things didn't work out. But um, it's so difficult to get things back on track when there is an understanding of how things are going to go and then those change, especially when it's the adults making the change. And it's so easy to, you know, you can say, well, you know, we lost this quarterback and that quarterback and, We've got to do this, got to do that. Yeah, we communicate that, all that to your player before you go do it because it comes off very disingenuous when you don't. And that's kind of how this thing looks here with uh, Florida State and Chris Parson. It's like this was the understanding. Now all of a sudden, okay, well, now we got to take two quarterbacks. And, you know, how that was communicated to him, I don't, really, I don't know. But I, I can suggest to you now with the days of social media, not much is hidden. It's like I'm committed and I'm out here carrying the banner and helping you guys recruit. And then I read on social media that some other kids got an offer to play my position after you promised me I was your guy. And so there's going to be some mistrust there. So not to say I expect Chris Parson at this point, but Mississippi State is now firmly in the discussion. The Bulldogs have entered the chat, as the kids like to say. Offram had good conversations with he and Mike Leach and um, – you know, now we'll try to get him on campus, and we'll see what happens. You know, State's still looking for their quarterback. As I shared last week, wrote an article about that, uh, only Nick Saban in Alabama has offered less quarterbacks than Mike Leach in Mississippi State in the SEC West. Arkansas has offered, I guess, 20, 18, 19, 20, a lot. But State, very stingy with quarterback offers. And this is an offense, too, where your accuracy matters. You know, you're not necessarily pursuing the dual threat guy, but I think Parsons is a guy that if you do go get him, if things break down, that's a guy that can tuck it and go get you first down. You can't just drop eight and hope for the best because if that guy gets outside containment, you know, he can he can move the chains and kind of keep your uh, your linebackers honest. So we'll see. But, again, that's that's the big story this week as it relates to Mississippi State recruiting is will Chris Parsons show up this weekend? Not expecting him to camp. I think it's a situation where he just comes and visits and gets to know the lay of the land, spend some time with the staff, uh, and then we'll kind of see how things, uh, you know, go from there. But, um, again, that's the big story. If you want to know what's going on in recruiting, 
that's a thing to keep up with this week. What does Chris Parson do? Does he come to Mississippi State? And, and I, listen, I saw the interview. I got absolutely nothing negative to say about anybody involved, the interviewer or Chris Parson himself. But what do you expect him to say? Right? I and mean, what do you expect him to say? You know, the smart thing to do is, you know, you go, you, go, you go to campus, you have your meeting, and you figure it out, and then you still kind of go about your business. And the guy hadn't even visited Mississippi State yet. And so if State's a rising contender there, you wouldn't show up over there and say, well, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm going to decommit and go to Mississippi State sight unseen. You wouldn't do that. That's just no way to go through the recruiting process, especially during the month of June. And it's a longstanding relationship with he and Florida State. So I don't read anything – into the interview, one way or another, it makes no difference to me what was said because this is a young guy trying to survive a complicated process. So let's just let things play out. That's, that's the important thing now just be patient. Just be patient, and we'll see how things go. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. Love those folks, man. Doing a great job for a long time. And uh, I, I suspect I was probably one of their first uh, 200 customers. You know, Shortly after they opened, I was in there. It was love at first bite. It was. Then they end up sponsoring the show. It's been a great relationship, I think, for all of us, especially you. There were many of you that had heard about Bulldog Burger Company, but maybe you weren't quite as familiar with everything that they offer. And now it's kind of become a, an empire. It was one location. Now it's three. The flagship right here on University Drive, then Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and then now the new one, Lake Harbor Drive, uh, there in the Ridge and Flowood area. Be sure and go check it out. If you haven't already, have the spring rolls as your appetizer. That's not the only appetizer on the menu, but it's my favorite. It really gets you going, right? Get a great restaurant quality hamburger. Have the mission. I like the pico de gallo on the side when I get the mission. I like the good morning burger. A lot of protein there. And you don't have to get the traditional bun. You can get a wheat bun or you get no bun. Get it served on a bed of lettuce. No matter your your, uh, thought process, they can get you taken care of. And maybe you don't feel like a hamburger. Maybe the kids want burgers. You're thinking, you know what, I want to eat a little bit lighter. You can. Get that BLT salad. I like it grilled. You may like it fried. It's good either way. The sloppy joe sliders, everything great. I've had everything on that menu. And I can assure you that you're not going to walk away disappointed. There are a few places in life where that can be said. Great food, great price, great atmosphere, all run by a great group. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, so you're keeping up with the uh, college baseball tournament. I suspect you are. we got a couple in-state schools still playing, so I I imagine there is uh, at least a rooting interest for or against those schools. But uh, it's been exciting, man. I hate that we're not playing, but I don't want to belabor the point there. I think we all feel the same way. I mean, I'd love to be able to be playing, but uh, pretty crazy. All right, so let's kind of get you up to date here. Tennessee sweeps through their regional. Campbell made it interesting, as did Georgia Tech. I mean, both of those teams had a lead against Tennessee and just couldn't hold it. And a lot of people are making a lot of uh, talk about the Jordan Beck um, one-finger salute yesterday. I, I'm not a fan of that at all. I am a fan of irreverence. I like, uh, you know, kind of challenging the social norms and things like that. But uh, blatant disrespect on the playing field for opponents, that's taken it a little bit too far, especially when it was an error. It wasn't like you just burned the guy. The guy I think the guy committed an error. But even regardless, there's just no room for that in baseball. 
And I know some people are like, oh, we like being the bad guys. You know, okay, once you beat the bad guys just for winning and winning big, but show some class. That kind of stuff is just, I'm a firm believer in the baseball gods are watching that kind of stuff. I just, maybe it's just me, but that's how I feel about it. Not a fan of that at all. Tennessee's making a lot of enemies, and not necessarily for how they play, because how can you watch them play and say and doubt their ability? They're a fantastic baseball team. But it's one thing to win and another thing to win and rub people's noses in it. You don't make a lot of friends that way. A lot of people in college baseball breaking down film. A lot of people would love to be able to expose a hole in your swing if they could. I just don't think you want to make enemies this time of year doing things like that. All right, so Tennessee wins their side of the bracket. They're going to play Notre Dame in a Super Regional. Notre Dame, a bit of a media favorite. They win the Georgia Southern Regional. You know, Georgia Southern uh, beats UNC Greensboro, and then Notre Dame beats Texas Tech, and then Notre Dame beats Georgia Southern. Texas Tech then beats Georgia Southern, and then Notre Dame beats Georgia Southern, or beats uh, Texas Tech. So that'll be interesting. You know, Notre Dame will travel to Knoxville. Notre Dame has good pitching. They're not, they don't have great pitching. They're 38 and 14. I mean, they're not exactly a team you look at and say, hey, they have absolutely set the woods on fire, but they have been very good. It'll be interesting to see what Ling Jarrett does with Tennessee. Could Notre Dame beat them? They absolutely could. Do I expect it? No, I don't. But they could. Ivan Melendez with a big weekend, now 30 home runs for the University of Texas Longhorns, now 45-19. and 19. You know, This is a team early on that I suggested should be number one in the country in the preseason polls, and they were in most polls, and I think that was deserved. A lot of people thought we should be number one because we were defending national champion. I didn't agree. I don't think that's how polls work. But, uh, but Texas is kind of beginning to play up their potential. They've had some injuries this year, too. But now they're in a super regional round again. They take care of Air Force, Dallas, Babas, and Louisiana Tech. I mean, that, that regional was really not very good. It really wasn't. Texas got a pretty good draw there. And that's the thing, too, like Dallas, Babas. Like, there are a lot of people in college baseball circles that keep saying, you know, Dallas, Babas is an Omaha team but just hadn't been there yet. It's just a matter of time. they got a great recruiting footprint. They do a great job developing pitching there. It's just a matter of time. You know, last year – you know, they arguably should have been in uh, Omaha last year. And if memory serves me correct, they lose to Virginia out at South Carolina. Remember there was like 10 people at the game? The game went into like Monday. It was crazy. But Dallas Baptist, again, a solid mid-major, but just can't get over the hump. They get in as a three seed this year, and then, you know, it's over. All right, so today East Carolina and Coastal Carolina are playing – regional final i had picked virginia to win this regional and i'm wrong i admit it a lot of people pick coastal carolina coastal carolina 36 and 18 going into the regional this is a weird regional too for ecu to be a top eight national seed they got one of the more uh consistent mid-majors in coastal and they get a, a really solid acc team a team that's you know, won the national championship uh with brian o'connor there at virginia so you can't say Eastern Carolina got a peach of a regional, despite the fact they did get Coppin State, a losing team, as a four seed. But uh, the two and three seeds, they are very capable of winning that thing. Again, a lot of people expected Coastal to win it. A&M wins their regional last night. That proved to be interesting, too. 
you know, Oral Roberts, uh, 38 and 18 going into the regional. And of course, the UL Lafayette or Louisiana, whatever they want to be called this week, a very solid team. And then TCU. And, you know, TCU lost some players last year. You know, they called this the slosh bowl. Uh, A&M, I thought, was really good. I thought TCU and Tommy Sacco were outstanding in the regional, too. A&M, just a little too much. A little too much. So they, they will host the winner of Louisville, Michigan. Louisville and Michigan in a regional final today. Louisville, of course, takes out SEMO uh, State. And then Oregon gets eliminated yesterday. But uh, Michigan and Louisville getting after today. That'll be interesting. I picked Louisville to win that bracket. Uh, Michigan has had played really well, though. All right, Florida and Oklahoma still getting after it. You know, Oklahoma jumped all over Florida the other day. Florida got even yesterday, so we'll have a regional final today. Excited about that one. I picked Florida to win the regional, even though I think Oklahoma is certainly capable. I just felt that home with Florida's pitching, they ought to have a good chance. Oklahoma really swings it well. Liberty and Central Michigan really just also runs in this thing two really good teams in Florida and Oklahoma. The winner of that will play Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech, the one seed in their regional and uh, top eight national seed. They take care of Wright State, Columbia, and Gonzaga. Virginia Tech got a peach of a regional. I don't think there's any question. I don't know how anybody could really argue against that. And they take care of business. And good for them. It's good for the game. It really is. It's good for the game uh, to see those teams you know, have a chance to uh, to succeed. All right, switching sides here uh, in the regional. Oregon State and Vanderbilt, they're going to play the regional final today. And how about Vandy going out there and playing really well? Enrique Bradfield, the kid's going to be around another year. Oh, my gosh. How great is that for the game? Uh, so that's uh, that's interesting. Oregon State, the number two national seed, and Vandy's up there, you know, really a game away from taking this thing. Auburn has done really well, scored a ton of runs. And now they're going to have the resumption of last night's game today. Auburn winning that game handily should sweep this thing. And, I, you know, I was one, honest with that, I was, I, I was a person that had Auburn done a little bit better down the stretch, I think you could have made a case for Auburn to be a top eight national seed. And they're playing that way now. And how interesting would it be to have Vanderbilt knock knock off the number two national seed in the Pac-12 and then play Auburn in a super in, at Auburn? How cool would that be? All right. The next bracket up is the uh, Southern Miss-Miami bracket, those two pods together. Southern Miss and LSU, this has been – a very entertaining regional. I, I've watched most of this one and have really enjoyed the quality of play. You know, sometimes you, you know, you're skipping back and forth, you're flipping from game to game. It's like the broadcast and the talent level just really doesn't hold your attention. I think this has been a great one. So Army is the first team eliminated, and then Kennesaw State really made a game of things against Southern Miss in the elimination game. So Josh Hatcher's college career is over. And for the first time in Josh Hatcher's career, he's not ending his year in Omaha. He's one of ours. You know, he could have helped us this year too. And, again, I don't think he puts up the same level of numbers here. And perhaps a change of scenery was good for him. But we wish Josh the absolute best. LSU, of course, wins the first two games. They um, 
the craziness to come back and beat Southern Miss the way they've done. Pretty crazy. All right, and so Southern Miss wins yesterday to force today's game, a game seven in this regional. The winner advances to the Super. The winner of this game will host the Super, whether it be Southern Miss or LSU. Because Miami was upset in their regional. And how difficult was that? Two one-run losses yesterday. Of course, they get, they're get they slow getting started. Remember, Miami struggled against Canisius early on and finally got it going. And then Ole Miss beats them. And that was an entertaining game, too. Ole Miss uh, with, with some some big clutch hits from uh, Peyton Chatney late in that ballgame. Um, and then, of course, they beat Arizona. You know, And so it's like you look at all this stuff. You know, I guess uh, you know Miami. That Miami baseball program is interesting. You know, we had them in the in the uh, regional a couple of years ago. I think we're, we're thinking, man, these guys are going to be great. Miami is back. You know, I just don't know. I, I don't really know what's going on. You know, with Miami. Uh, but credit Ole Miss, they go out there and they win the first two, and um, you know now they're in a situation where they could be. Hi, Bulldog fans. Our friends from Tacovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season. It's concert season. It's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tacovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tacovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tacovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacovis has first wear comforts. No break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to Tacovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to BadlandsFood.com, 
forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. In a super regional, either at Southern Miss or at LSU, you know, two teams they know very well. And that's the thing, too. It's a new season, right? Nothing matters now. If you win today and get to the Super, you're in the top 16. And I submit to you, too, if, if Ole Miss wins this regional, I don't know that you can get rid of Mike Bianco. I know a lot of them want to. But how if he wins that regional on the road and gets to a Super again, even if he doesn't get to Omaha, how do you run him off? I don't know how you can. Take, you know, taking a quick look back at Miami, you know, for, you know, Miami is a blue blood of college baseball. There's no question about it. They have done a tremendous job there over the years. They've won the NAFL championship four times, been a runner-up two other times. But they hit a little bump in the road here a couple of years ago, right? And they had, I mean, they, they were a team that was pretty much always in the tournament, always. I think from 1980, and look at the numbers here, they went every, every season in the 80s to the tournament. And then you get into the 90s, and they go every year in the 90s. You get into the 2000s, they go every year in the 2000s. And then you get to 2010, and you have a nice little streak there to get snapped in 17 and 18. Well, you go out and you hire Gino Damari, and everybody's like, well, this is going to be the turnaround. And in many respects, it was. 2019, they go 41 and 20, 18 and 12 in their, in the, in their conference, and then they get to the NCAA regional here. And then we beat them. They were off to a good start in 2020, and then they take a step back in 2021. 33 and 21 overall, 20 and 15 in the conference. They get to a regional, don't advance. This year, 40 and 20 and 20 and 10 in the ACC. So people are like, hey, this is the year they're back on track. They get to a regional and don't advance. And so, like, I read other people's commentary about their programs, and a lot of people feel the same way that we all do, right? It's like, there's a lot of commonality in this. I mean, if you're not winning big, people are disappointed in you. But it's difficult to think about this. Miami, again, a team that's been a perennial NCAA tournament team, a team with multiple NAFL championships, has not been to Omaha since 2016. That's crazy. Since they went in 2008, they've only been two times. Two times in the last 14 seasons. And so, they, you know, the folks are getting a little restless down there. And people are already, oh, we've we got to fire the coach. There's no way you fire the coach. But that's what people are thinking. It's like, oh, we, we just can't get over the hump. It's always the same old thing. We get, in, we get in a situation where we get in a regional and we don't make it to the Supers. That happens a lot. Happens a lot. It really does. It's not just our people, Right. It's so easy to get caught up because we're only so acutely aware of what happens with us. You don't understand. Everybody out there wants to be better. And, of course, now Miami's will watch two other teams play in uh, South Beach today for the chance to go to the Super. So, again, so, if, so whoever wins Ole Miss or Arizona, they're on the road next week at either Southern Miss or LSU. I can only begin to imagine that, that um, atmosphere at the box – if it happens that way. And listen, Southern Miss, not a huge stadium, but, man, they've had great atmospheres there. And I see this stuff on Twitter and social media sometimes, and it's like, 
And somebody says, well, you know, because LSU fans are there. Well, yeah, there's a lot of LSU fans there, too, but so there's people love their baseball program, too. There may not be as many of them, but, the, you know, the ones that come are very loyal and very supportive of the team. Not to mention it's a regional. Of course they're going to turn up and show. And so, and, I, and again, I, you know, there's no point debating with those people on, on Twitter, but um, I just find it interesting. I think Southern Miss kind of been disrespected by some of these LSU people. And that's not to say that LSU hadn't played well, and it's not to say that Southern Miss hadn't played well. It's going to be interesting. But, uh, but again, that Miami Regional, you know, Ole Miss and Arizona right there, and they were a team last year. Those two played in the Super Regionals last year. So they're, they ought to be quite familiar with each other. I just wonder how much pitching each team has left in the tank. All right, are you watching this Stillwater Regional? Man, how much fun is this? Did you see it yesterday? Oklahoma State gets down 12 to nothing to Missouri State and comes back and win, what, 29-15 or whatever it was, something ridiculous like that. And then they beat Arkansas in the nightcap. I told you guys when we began the previous, I like this Oklahoma State team. They're an offensive team, pitching-wise, a little bit up and down, but they can swing the bat. And it's like they're never really out of it. Last night, you, they get lead and couldn't close it out, and they finally did. This Oklahoma State team is capable of getting to Omaha. And I think part of that, too, is, you know, when you look at what that Super Regional is going to look like on the other side of that, uh, as offensive as Oklahoma State could be, I think they can get there. I think it's as simple as that. So Oklahoma State and Arkansas uh, tonight – or is it tonight? Yeah, tonight. It's, that's must-see TV, man. you got to watch that. It's going to be a great way to end your Monday. All right, so the other side of this bracket has got VCU, our friends, the Rams. They came to uh, Duty Noble last year, if you recall. And uh, I don't know, man. That, that, that was a weird deal. Like, they, like, you know, our people in the left field lounge and now the right field tiki lounge, everybody out there is so great and so eager to, uh, to please other people. By and large, VCU people a little standoffish, man. I don't know what that was about. But uh, they're going to take on North Carolina today. And VCU has won a ton of games. And then uh, had their losing streak snapped yesterday against North Carolina. This has been kind of a quiet one. Georgia got in there as a two and, and went quietly. And Scott Strickland, you know, we, we talk about Miami. I think Georgia fans have a right to kind of feel that way too. It's like we just can't seem to get over the hump. You know, last year they missed the tournament entirely. They get in this year and, they're you know, it's two and Q, you know. It's just, you know, or maybe they won game, one game. But either way, they have not been a factor. And I thought they got a pretty good draw here. So if VCU wins, they got to travel probably to either Oklahoma State or Arkansas. That's, that's an environment. You talk about last, you know, going out of the frying pan and the fire. Here we go. Maryland, of course, and UConn, that's interesting. You know, Maryland's a team, too, that a lot of people thought might be a tad overrated because of the conference in which they play in. Their record against the top 100 was not very good. UConn went in there and did a great job, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how that one kind of turns up. I almost picked Wake Forest to win that regional, but I stuck with Maryland. Stanford takes care of Texas State last night to force a uh, winner-take-all regional final. Of course, uh, they played Bingington, the only other losing team in the field. Mississippi State played those guys, remember, on a Monday. UC Santa Barbara, kind of a a trendy West Coast mid-major. They don't really make any racket. But Texas State was a team that had a high RPI most of the year. We expected them to be a good tournament team. They actually get into the driver's seat in the regional, and then Stanford bounces back to beat them yesterday. So it's a winner-take-all thing today. And the thing that I worry about if I'm Texas State is how much pitching you got left. 
Stanford's a Power 5 team, you know, where Dave and those guys out there, they keep pitchers. So Stanford probably has more pitching available today. Texas State's going to have to find a way to score some runs. I don't know if they're going to – this could be a wild one. really could be. But, uh, again, it's been a fun weekend, as fun as it could be without us playing. It's just it, – it's still – it just irritates me to no end. So, looking at your, uh, your national seeds here, Tennessee, of course, advances. Stanford still playing for the right to get to the Super. Oregon State in the same boat. That's Pac-12 baseball, and I I think the Pac-12 game is much different, but you've got a couple teams playing for their seasons today. Number four national seed, Virginia Tech advances without any issue at all. Texas A&M advances. Uh, Miami, of course, eliminated your first top eight national seed to be eliminated in the tournament. Oklahoma State played Arkansas tonight for the right to advance East Carolina against Coastal today. So seven of your eight still alive. The next nine, or excuse me, next eight, uh, Texas has advanced. North Carolina still, still battling. Southern Miss still battling. Louisville still battling. Florida still battling. Auburn in control, but still has not advanced yet. Maryland has advanced, and Georgia Southern is eliminated. So when you begin to think about, as it stands today, there's still a lot of this outstanding. But it, it appears we've seeded the tournament pretty well. Because right now... 14 of your top 16 national seeds remain alive. And uh, majority of these we do expect to advance. But uh, in that second group of eight, still some teams out there that, uh, you know, some teams that were host teams that are having to battle back out of loser's bracket. And so that's kind of where we stand. And, it, it, and people say, well, is there, is there a story of the tournament so far? I don't think so. I, I think really college baseball is the story of the tournament. And so many people are like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe what a great weekend it is. It's always like this. I mean, it's, I don't know why it's not more celebrated by other people. There are a lot of people that are missing out on a college baseball game. But uh, when you look at how many games are being played today and how many seasons are on the line, I think, again, it shows there's a lot of parity in the game. I think it's important for, for people to fully appreciate that and enjoy college baseball. All right, time for today's top ten list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. You guys know Blair. You should. And I guess maybe before we do that, let's, uh, let, let's talk about PrimeShrimp.com, too. I hate to get out of order here. PrimeShrimp.com, that's your player of the day. They'll make mom or dad, whoever's, whoever's cooking dinner tonight, you're the player of the game when you use PrimeShrimp.com. PrimeShrimp.com is a Louisiana-based shrimping company. It's been in business since the 1940s. They know everything there is to know about peeling and chipping shrimp. Had some... Uh, over the weekend it's one of those things too it's so conveniently located like that they they pouch it up so good for you it stores well you know, a lot of times you get frozen food and it's like it's so bulky in there these little manila envelopes basically what they are and they're well packaged they're shipped well and they they fit in the freezer very easily so when you're ready to use them four great flavors to choose from i love it you will love it too if you haven't already give them a try I wouldn't partner with people I didn't trust. I sampled all the products before we uh, reached an agreement, and I continue to use them. You will, too. Go to PrimeShrimp.com and use promo code BONEYARD to save some money off your order. That's PrimeShrimp.com, promo code BONEYARD. You're going to be glad you did. Like I've told you before, the best thing about it is, and this is, the big, to me, the big selling point, yeah, you can run down to the, the, the supermarket and probably get some shrimp, probably, you still gotta you still gotta prep it. You gotta devein it, you gotta peel it, you gotta pull the tails off. Well, and it's not even seasoned. 
you order from primeshrimp.com. It's already seasoned. It's already prepared. You put on a, bowl, a, a pot of boiling water, and 10 minutes later, you've got restaurant-quality shrimp. It makes you feel like you're down in the, in the French Quarter right there in your own dining room. So check them out today, primeshrimp.com, promo code Boneyard. All right, now let's look at clothes of Blair. Here we go. Blair Chandler, a longtime friend of mine, longtime friend of yours, maybe a friend you just hadn't met yet. How about that? Blair, uh, a mortgage professional. Visit him at Close with Blair. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com for all your mortgage needs. And maybe you thought, you know what, Steve? Life has gotten complicated. I'm living paycheck to paycheck. And maybe you have some unlocked potential in the equity in your home. Now, I'm not saying let's use that as a bailout from time to time. You want to be responsible with that. But it could change the quality of your life. Maybe you've got, you know, some uh, home improvements to do. Maybe you want to put a pool in. Maybe you've got a wedding to pay for. You don't know how you're going to do it. Rather than go out and get some high interest loan or run up some revolving debt, get a low interest second mortgage or a refi uh, to make that a little easier to deal with. One low monthly payment rather than several payments. You know how paying bills sometimes can be, you know, a daily chore where you, you spend the whole day having to pay all these little small nitpicky bills. Why not just pay them all off at once? Blair's been in the industry 21 years, going on 22. Back-to-back years, top 1% close ratio in the country. Works for Fairway Mortgage, recently voted number one in customer satisfaction when it comes to mortgage lending. A lot of people want your business. Blair Chandler has earned your business. Give him a call today. Let me give you his personal cell number. 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. And mention to him you heard about him on the barnyard. He's going to pay for your appraisal. So you're already kind of ahead of the game uh, right then and there, just having some of those fees already kind of taken care of. That's a huge part of it right there. Closewithblair.com. All right, today's top 10 list. You guys, you guys know I watch a lot of music documentaries. I don't always get a lot of sleep. So I like to learn. I like to have trivia. So I watch a lot of music stuff. Music moves me. Sports, music, those are my two main interests. So I watched the um, six-episode series on Hulu called Pistol, which is about the Sex Pistols, and Steve Jones. We have had many requests to do the Sex Pistols, and they have a pretty limited catalog, and they have some covers in there, too, that we don't always uh, you know, put those on our list. But uh, their debut album, Nevermind the Bollocks, Here's the Sex Pistols, is an iconic album in punk music. There's so many personalities in this band, and they're really kind of a cautionary tale. There's just, you know, they were a self-destructive group by and large, because everything they did was in excess. And uh, Johnny Rotten, of course, the front man of the Sex Pistols, about as irreverent as they come. I think Pistol does a good job. It is uh, written basically as an adaptation of Steve Jones' uh, biography, Lonely Boy, kind of the history of the Sex Pistols. But uh, the band was incredibly irreverent. I think in many ways you can kind of draw some lineage to Guns N' Roses. You know, they, were, they didn't care. They were, they were not people that kind of conformed to the music industry and, 
and uh, Axel Rose, a very explosive and volatile personality, much like Johnny Rotten. But uh, I wanted to do a top 10 today about the Sex Pistols. I would encourage you, if you're a fan at all, or if you'd like to know more about the Sex Pistols, watch Pistol. Now, they do kind of romanticize the relationship between Chrissy Hind of The Pretenders and Steve Jones. And Steve Jones has come out and said, well, they kind of Hollywoodized some of that. Uh, to make, I guess to make her more of a love interest. They did have a bit of a romance, but it wasn't quite as it was uh, maybe interpreted in the, uh, in the episode. But, uh, you know, six episodes, there is talk about them adding more. I don't know how much more they could add, to be quite honest with you. Because like a lot of things, I mean, it's like they burned, they burned really bright and fast, and they burned out really, really quick. And so I don't know how much more you could do. Maybe a couple more episodes to kind of tie up some Sid Vicious stuff. But uh, I think that's it. And so, you know, what's interesting, too, is, uh, you know, Glenn Matlock was the original bass player in the band. And then they dismissed him because they said he liked the Beatles too much. And he was really more of maybe a rank-and-file bass player. Uh, Sid Vicious, of course, uh, added to the band later, and Sid really kind of known more for his attitude and his sneer and his onstage persona more so than his musical ability. And as the the documentary or docuseries kind of shows, originally he was the guy, Sid Vicious, whose name was also John, was recommended to be the singer rather than Johnny Rotten. Um and those two were great friends. And so when Glenn Mat- Matlock was kicked out of the band, they added Sid Vicious, which kind of gave Johnny Rodden an ally within the band. But uh, Sid couldn't play bass, so he had to kind of learn it as they went. And that's the thing, too, about this band. You're, they're not known for their musical prowess. They weren't especially proficient as musicians. Uh, I guess Cookie was a little bit as a drummer. But uh, the reality of it is, is these are a bunch of guys that just kind of got by on the attitude and kind of being in your face. A couple of songs, covers they did that, that didn't make the list that are in their limited catalog is uh, My Way, the Frank Sinatra track. Sid Vicious actually sings that. Now, the first part of it is just him being silly. But I thought he did a really good job as a vocalist once it, they kind of made it a punk song. And then No Fun, which is an old uh, Izzy Pop and Stooges song. And uh, if memory serves me correct, it's the last song they played as a band before things really went south and uh, played a limited set out in California. And that was the last thing Johnny Rotten said is this, this is no fun. It's no fun at all. And something along the lines of, uh, you know, do you know how it feels when you feel like you've been ripped off or whatever? And so uh, the band really kind of disintegrated from there. And uh, there has been a lot made about Sid Vicious over the years because, uh, you know, Sid was the guy too that was very talented but also a guy, too, that became kind of an icon in, in the punk rock culture because of his attitude and his irreverent lifestyle. And then you know, he uh, ultimately becomes this incredible drug addict that gets incredibly addicted to heroin, and it dominated his life, and then in the end he killed Nancy Spungen. And there is some controversy about that, too. A lot of people don't believe that he did it. They think that um, he was kind of a... I guess you'd say a suspect of convenience. And he initially said, he was wandering down the hallway, that uh, he killed her, and then later said he didn't remember anything because he was so whacked out on drugs. And they had had a party that night, and there were a lot of people in and out of there, and some people think that uh, Nancy you know, stumbled in to see somebody stealing some money, 
and was ultimately stabbed. But uh, either way, sadly, she uh, was taken at a young age, and then they were able to, uh, to bond Sid Vicious out of jail. And so many people maintained that he was innocent. Uh, he ultimately overdosed and died. And some people think that was actually a suicide, part of a suicide pact. There, there was some suicide note found in his pocket that a lot of people kind of doubt the authenticity of. But uh, there's the movie out there, Sid and Nancy. Uh, it is an incredibly sad tale. And again, this is a band that was, uh, I won't say they ruled the world, but uh, they are probably the band when you look at the British punk scene. Uh, probably their answer to the Ramones uh, in many respects. But um, they said they didn't like the Ramones. And I think a lot of that was just professional jealousy. So here's your top 10 uh, Sex Pistol songs. Nine of these 10 will come from with Johnny Rotten as a vocalist. So the very first one is a song called Silly Thing, and this is after, uh, you know, Steve Jones and those guys kind of tried to move on. Johnny had left the band. Sid was gone. So they tried to kind of recapture it. It is a good punk song, though. It is Steve Jones was the original vocalist uh, in what became the Sex Pistols. They were originally called the Swankers. Not the Wankers, the Swankers. And that's something they kind of have some fun with in the movie in the uh, docuseries but silly thing was kind of a chance for the pistols to kind of come back it just never really kind of came together and steve jones uh, an accomplished musician in his own right now but uh once he froze up as a vocalist they tried to make him a guitar player and uh he basically was a self-taught guitar player and it's amazing to go back now in hindsight and listen to some of that earlier stuff and you can tell that he was a very basic guitar player and I think that's one of the reasons that this band has been so popular with young people is because you can play. You can play their stuff. It's really two and three chord type progressions, and I think it's easier to kind of play along to. Uh, maybe you can't uh, pull down Eddie Van Halen, but you could probably pull down Steve Jones. All right, number nine, a song that is really more of a groovy, like pop song rather than a punk song, punk song is Submission. And this was kind of like in your face uh, to Malcolm, their manager. He had suggested they do a song like this, and they kind of did it to make fun of him. Uh, number eight, a song that may be a little bit underappreciated in the catalog is uh, Did You Know Wrong. I think you'll appreciate that one. That's another good one, a good punk song, too. I like the guitar on it. Uh, number seven is uh, No Feelings. And I think that probably sums up Johnny Rodden and really the attitude of this band uh, pretty well. Number six, Problems. And this is a band, too, that you know, fought drug addiction. They fought alcoholism. They fought rebellion. They were basically a bunch of guys kind of thrown together that didn't really care for each other a whole lot. I guess Cookie was probably the guy that uh, you look at and say that he was probably the most normal guy within the band, and he tried to leave a couple times, and they were able to kind of convince him to stay. And in many respects, you know, he and Glenn Matlock, you know, the rhythm section was the strength of this band in the early days. But uh, I think Johnny Rodden just felt like he was outnumbered and really pushed to get Glenn fired so they could bring in Sid Vicious. And Sid's original name was John, too. Johnny and John. They were, they, were, they were mates, as they say. Number five, a song called Bodies. And this is one of the ones that really kind of took off for them live early on. It's based on a true story but a girl they had met, and she is actually in the docuseries as well. She ends up having an abortion, and somehow, too, uh, she, they give her the body of the baby, which is crazy, and she like carries it around with her. And so they wrote the song about it, and uh, it's very much an anti-abortion song. kind of shows 
you know, the negative and downside of that about what happens to, you know, people afterwards. No matter your political leanings, it's a pretty important song in some respects. I think it's it's a very, very powerful and in-your-face type song, and in no way are they, uh, you know, really glorifying either side of the political spectrum or just kind of talking about this lady, this girl they met, and kind of the, the condition she was in after all this happened in her life. She just really kind of lost uh, a lot of herself. All right, so now we're down to the top four, and I think a lot of people would probably agree these are the top four. We may not agree on the order. A lot of people believe my number four song is the best Sex Pistols song. Obviously, I don't agree or it wouldn't be number four, but it's a song pretty vacant. And, uh, of course, uh, Johnny Rodden uses a little bit of uh, you know, pronunciation tricks with that title, of course, to kind of get his point across. But, uh, again, Johnny Rodden, not an especially skilled singer, but an incredible frontman, an incredible frontman. I think that really comes across in the docuseries, too. But pretty vacant, number four. Number three, a song that uh, I first heard when uh, the Make a Difference Foundation released this uh, album called uh, Stairway to Heaven, Highway to Hell, and they had all these modern metal bands cover songs that were written or performed by people that were impacted by addition. So Skid Row covered this and did an incredible job, but it's Holidays in the Sun. I love this song. I, and, and there's the, the part, though, in the chorus that you can't make it out really well in the original recording, but Steve Jones and those guys in the chorus, when they're singing, now I got a reason, now I got a reason, the, 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 the band is singing, you suck, you suck, over and over again. Uh, there's a lot of attitude in the song. I think it's it's kind of about um, it's about basically the Eastern Bloc, about Germany and things like that, and talking about the you know the big wall that separated East and West Germany. A lot of young people today don't realize that, that was all kind of you know, a product of the Cold War you know, to separate uh, West Germany from East Germany, the communism from the democracy side, and so it's a little bit about that. Uh, number two, a song that is considered to this day to be the most censored song in the United Kingdom. And many people suggest that the album cover, there was a single release for this, that um, it's one of those things, too, it's very, very difficult to find, like the original stuff. It's, it's a collector's item, but it's uh, God Save the Queen. And it's not God Save the Queen in the traditional sense. It's, you know, she's she ain't a human being. You know, it's like basically... It was about that time in England when, in the late 70s, there just wasn't a lot of uh, national pride. There was a lot of poverty. Uh, industry was not good. Employment was sky high. And so there was all these people that felt like that this loyalty to the ruling party or the royal family was almost like a Marie Antoinette type moment. It's like, well, here they are living in Buckingham Palace and living in in the, the lap of luxury, and then many of their subjects, of course, are struggling to find something to eat. So it's really a protest song. We've had that on the show before, and for a long time, you couldn't get it. Even to this day, there are some people that, uh, that didn't want it. And uh, as the DACA series kind of explains, too, even when they would do the top 40 songs or the top 20 songs, they would mention the song, but they wouldn't play it on the radio. And all that did really was draw more attention to the song. Now, all of a sudden, people are like, why do they want me to listen to this? And um, I think it's important to kind of understand, too, the Sex Pistols were so volatile. They were with three different record labels in six months. And what's interesting, too, is uh, A&M Records produced God Save the Queen on 45. And then there was this incredible 
TV performance where Johnny Wright and Steve Jones and everybody used all this profanity on live TV and they lost a record deal. And so the majority of those 45s were completely destroyed. You can find them out there on eBay now for about 20 grand. People want them that bad. There's not a recording in the world that I would want to pay that kind of money for. But people love it that much. That's what they're paying. And there have been um, other uh, recordings of the Sex Pistols that have gone, you know, in the tens of thousands of dollars. It's crazy. Crazy. But God Save the Queen, one of these songs, too, that uh, really kind of opened the door for really some real irreverence in rock. I think they weren't necessarily a political band, but I think they, they brought this up. And uh, the, the original title of that song is No Future, and it was really more about the younger generation of England, and there's just no future. As a matter of fact, that's in the lyrics, and there's no future in, Britain, in London's dreaming or Britain's dreaming. Um, and then they convinced them to do the... Uh, convince them to do the uh to change the title to god save the king the queen because it would be so much more um pithy i guess you could say you know it would get more attention because god save the queen then it's kind of an anti-royal family protest song uh so interesting but number one for me is anarchy in the uk and maybe it's because some of my favorite bands have covered this one but uh it was one of the first songs written by the Sex Pistols. And uh, it's one of those songs, too. Again, it's about complete in-your-face irreverence. It's very anti-government, even though Johnny Rodden was not really some political activist. It was just basically a, it's a song about freedom. You know, I want to be anarchy. Um, but it's been covered by Megadeth and Motley Crue and others. And a lot of people get together and play this song live as part of a jam session but Anarchy in the UK was just one of those songs that kind of captivated young people. And but you got to remember, a lot of people felt disenfranchised. There's a lot of people, too, that uh, misconstrue, you know, the word oppression these days. And uh, there are some people in our society that feel oppressed. Some are, and some just feel that way. Uh, but there was a generation of young people, especially kind of the have-nots in, in England, that, that's kind of how they felt. They felt like they were oppressed, and they were always going to be second-class citizens, and that nobody ever... Uh, was going to give them an opportunity to advance their course in life. And this is really kind of an anthem for them. This is what it was about. And you got to think all this happened in the mid-70s. And so all these songs were anthemic to a generation of people that want to change within their culture. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean that they got it, but that's one of the reasons that it resonated so much with young people. And so the Sex Pistols, an incredibly important band. And, and again, just the one full album. They did have some other albums on the great rock and roll swindle uh, motion picture soundtrack, but um, that's part of the deal. Uh, but there have been a few things that have kind of happened, and they've done some things in, in recent years. Uh, they did a benefit show, but they just don't do much. And they were, they were, they were uh, in, enshrined in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and then they refused to come to the ceremony, which is so incredibly on brand for them. Um, they called it a peace stain, that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was a peace stain. And, and again, it's just so punk and in your face. It's like kind of like one last kiss from uh, the world's greatest punk band. Uh, and so there were a lot of bands, obviously, that were influenced by this, not just their fashion, but stage show and everything else. They were, they were so ahead of their time. And they were just one of these bands, too, that it doesn't make any sense that they would have, should have been as successful as they were. It's, you talk about timing, you talk about synergy, a group of guys coming together that didn't even really like each other and ultimately were you know, a, a 
very much a detriment to each other's lives. A uh, lot of infidelity, of course, in those relationships. Um, you know, there, there was one of the comments about Steve Jones as you couldn't trust your, your, him around your girlfriend. You know, it was just, there was so much of that was so incredibly destructive and, and hedonistic. But they had their moment in time where they really kind of captivated a continent and eventually had some success in the United States. Uh, but to this day, you know, here we are talking about, you know, sex pistols. And again, we're, we're coming up on 50 years, you know, since that band kind of you know, became something of note. And it was incredible, too, to even watching that docuseries to see how they had such humble beginnings. And um, I didn't know this. They, uh, their rehearsal hall, they got it a discount because um, the singer from Badfinger killed himself in there. It was like it's there's all this thread between all this stuff that uh, kind of connects everybody so there you go i would check it out i mean if you're a rock fan or maybe you're just looking for something cool to watch that maybe is um outside of your normal type stuff check it out on hulu it's called pistol i enjoyed it i, I did there are some parts of it that made me a little bit uncomfortable because there was uh you know some things in there of course that um you don't expect there's a lot of shock and some of that stuff too and so uh, and I didn't know that Chrissy Hind was so connected to them, you know, from the Pretenders. You know, she was, uh, you know, a musician, American musician that went to England and tried to make it. And uh, they kind of play up this relationship with her and Steve Jones. And he has come out and said that was, some of that was kind of Hollywoodized. But, uh, again, I, I didn't really know some of those things. That's one of the things that I enjoy watching that stuff is to learn things, even if they have been kind of glamorized just a little bit. So, uh, be sure and check it out again. It's Pistol on Hulu, and give uh, our list an idea, a chance to listen to that. I think you'll enjoy that. And again, it's not your typical rock music. Some of the guitar you know, structure is, but uh, when you hear Johnny Rotten come in uh, with that voice, it's completely different. So check it out. Uh, if you have ideas for the top ten list, reach out and let me know. Best chance is to reach out to Roy on Twitter, at Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. And uh, he does a good job of keeping those lists together. And we didn't do a top ten list for top, top Tom Cruise movies. We did lists. We didn't do a, a playlist. And Roy went and found a song off each soundtrack and shared it. That's dedication. We aim to please here at the Boneyard. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. Longtime sponsors of this show, longtime contributors to the Mississippi State family. Go by and check them out just on the backside of campus there. Very easy to find right off of 182, just butted up against the backside of campus there, not too far from uh, you know, Lee Drive there. But uh, Campus Bookmart been doing it as, as well or better than anybody in the Mississippi State merchandising business for a long time. If you can't make it to town to see the lovely, talented Susie and Miss Kathy Brown and Pam Minyard and everybody up there that does such a wonderful job taking care of the Mississippi State family, visit them on the World Wide Web. I'm a big proponent in shopping local. I love online shopping. When at all possible, I try to spend my money locally. Always, 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 always. And I love online shopping because I can just, from the comfort of my office, click a couple of buttons and then some cool stuff is on its way. Make that happen for you today. Make everybody in your family's life a little bit better. Surprise them with some unexpected Mississippi State merchandise. Campusbookmart.net, that's a place to find all their merchandising options. And we'll give you a little uh, phrase that pays. That is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. As promised, 
we're going to preview the SEC East today. And we're going to kind of, as we once I get back from vacation, we're going to start doing more of these previews, kind of breaking down each team, what they've got coming back, what they lost, what's it look like schedule-wise. We're going to give a brief overview of that today. Had a lot of feedback from you guys about the West. A lot of people said, Steve, you're a little more optimistic about the Bulldogs than I am this year. I think we're going to struggle to get a ball game. I think you're choosing to be miserable. I think we're an easy bowl team, and I think with a break or two, we could possibly be uh, in a Florida Bowl. But uh, be that as it may, we're talking SEC East today. So we're going to start at the bottom, which kind of stands to reason. We're going to go with Vanderbilt. I've got those guys going 2-10. and 10. I do. I think 2-10 and 10 is, uh, is probably the best. They're going to open up at Hawaii. That's a cool trip, and it's going to be a loss. I mean, when you saw Vanderbilt on the field last year, I think we would all agree the talent differential between Vanderbilt and the rest of the league last year was probably more apparent than it's been in recent years. They have really struggled to assemble talent on that roster. I mean, just about everybody they played, with rare exception, uh, really kind of had their way with them. You know, they, they went a couple of games last year, and everybody's like, well, you know, maybe things are turning around. I, I just didn't see any evidence of that. I mean, they finished 2-10 and 10 last year, didn't win a league game. They do go on the road to beat Colorado State last year, and then they beat UConn there in Vanderbilt. So a couple big wins, but uh, winless in the league. And a lot of those games down the stretch were really not competitive. I guess the game at South Carolina – uh, was probably their best chance to win an SEC game. Uh, but looking at this year, I, I just don't see it. Now, game number two, they're going to welcome the Elon Phoenix. If you don't win that one, you're probably going winless. Then there's Wake Forest the next week. That's a loss. Then they're at Northern Illinois. I've got that down as a W, but that's on the road. Yeah, So we'll see. I mean, I'm sure those people are thrilled to get an SEC program in their backyard and then after that so I, I let's say you win that one so you're two and two after four all right then we get bama Ole miss georgia missouri south carolina at kentucky florida tennessee all those are losses so two and ten that's not a hot take i think we all kind of see it for what it is vanderbilt's going to struggle to win football games and i don't know when you can expect to have a turnaround I know clark lee is a guy that uh working hard on the recruiting trail. When do you begin to see the dividends of that? Maybe another year. I just think this is, again, another year of transition for them and a year they're going to really struggle uh, to put some things together. Missouri. Now, you go last year, I kept telling you guys, Missouri was going to upset somebody and be a factor in the East. They weren't going to win it, but they were going to you know, find a way to beat somebody. We talked about that. I don't know that they lived up to what I expected, but they did beat Florida in overtime last year, which was really the end of the Dan Mullen era up there. But, uh, you know, they go 6-7 and seven last year, lose the bowl game to Army, which put them under five hundred. Uh, but, you know, look again, last year they beat Central Michigan. They lose at Kentucky, a game they should have won. They blew it. And then they blow out Southeast Missouri. They lose in overtime to Boston College. So you look early on and think, you know what, hey, this team could easily be 4-0. And then they get blistered by Tennessee – they blow out North Texas, which I guess he was a game for a while. Then they get killed by AM. They struggle, but they do get by Vandy. Then they get destroyed by Georgia. They, they go and beat South Carolina, which was a, a big win at the time. And then they beat Florida. And you're like, hey, we're, we're ball eligible. And you lose to Arkansas. But uh, I, I don't see, again, I actually think they're going to take a bit of a step back from last year. 
You said, but Steve, how is that possible? I, I just think the league, that division, I think, has gotten better. I just don't think they're going to be able to sneak up on anybody this year. And it's like last year, I think they were offensively a little bit better, and they may they may still be. But looking at this year, I've got them going 4-8. and eight. So you got Louisiana Tech, then you go to Kansas State. That's a toss-up game. But, you know, when you're a team that's not used to winning, it's tough to win those games. I think Kansas State's a team to line up and run the football against them. Then you got our friends at Abilene Christian, and then you're at Auburn. I think that's a game that Auburn should win. If Auburn loses that game, Brian Harson's wife might delete social media. But if you're Missouri, you know, I think you beat Tech, you lose to Kansas State, you beat Abilene, you lose to Auburn, all of a sudden you're 2-2. Two two. Well, then you've got Georgia and Florida back-to-back weeks, and the game against Florida is in the swamp. That's 4-6. and six. Excuse me. That's 2-4. and four. Then you'll beat Vanderbilt, which makes you 3-4. and four. Then you've got South Carolina. I've got South Carolina won this game because it's in Williams-Brice. You host Kentucky, you're at Tennessee, you get to Mexico State, and you get to Arkansas. So you can kind of do the math in there. That's four and eight all day. I think they're staring four and eight firmly in the face. And they may have some success offensively, but really defensively they couldn't stop anybody last year. That was the thing that was so disappointing, I think, is that they would get a lead and just couldn't hold it. All right, so that gets to South Carolina. I actually think South Carolina, you know, they had the, uh, the, the run late. And everybody's like, they're ahead of schedule. To be honest with you, I think some of that was kind of fluky. And I and I like Shane Beamer. I do think he was an interesting pick. But I think Shane will do a good job and he'll work hard. And I know his kids love him. They go 7-6 and six last year, including winning the Dukes-Mayo Bowl against North Carolina. And it surprised me the way they handled those guys as well as they did. But if you look back last year, it was kind of like they benefited, you know, from playing some teams that were down. And uh, so let's run through it. They beat Eastern Illinois like a drum. They sneak by East Carolina at their place, uh, 2017. They get shelled by Georgia. They narrowly lose to Kentucky. And I, and I wasn't a huge, I'm not, not a big Kentucky fan. I, I kind of get tired of all that in-your-face stuff. But, oh, this is a year for Kentucky, and it, like it never is. Uh, Troy, they beat those guys. Then they get shelled by Tennessee. They beat Vandy, and we expected that they should. And they lose to A&M. And then late, you think, oh, there's not, there's not a chance of them getting a ball game. Well, they come out of the bye week, and they beat Florida. And that was the Florida team that had quit. The Florida team this year won't. They lose at Mizzou, and then they, they beat Auburn. And so they get bowl eligible by winning two games at home against teams that they shouldn't have been able to beat. And so I think in many respects, this year, again, will be a bit of a step back for them. And I think that's unfortunate because I think a lot of people think, hey, well, we won, you know, we won seven last year. Maybe we can get eight this year. I just don't see it. You know, looking at the schedule, you get Georgia State, that's a W. You got to go to Fayetteville, that's an L. You get Georgia, that's an L. You get Charlotte, that should be a win, makes you two and two. Then you get South South Carolina State, you should get that to get three and two. Then you got to go to Lexington. I got that as a loss. I got that three and three. Then you got A&M. That's a loss. You got Missouri. You know, that, that's got to be a win. Then you get Vanderbilt. Then you got to go to Florida, Tennessee, and Clemson. Okay, so you're not going to win anything in November. So where do the dubs come from? You got to upset somebody. And I think the schedule this year is probably a little more challenging. Uh, but, yeah, I've got those guys going five and seven, which will be good enough for fifth in the SEC East. And I see some people now already predicting Kentucky – 
is like a potential New Year's Six team, and they'll be second in the East. Uh, I don't see that either because, number one, I think Florida is going to be improved. I think Tennessee will continue to take a step forward too. Josh Heupel's a good coach now. All right, so let's look at this Kentucky schedule. They get Miami of Ohio, and Ben Roethlisberger is not there. That should be a win. They got to go to the Swamp. It's a big early game for Billy Napier's group, and Billy Napier and those guys run the kind of spread option offense. You got to be sound at linebacker. I don't know that Kentucky will be as good as they have been, even though the Stoops and those guys do a great job preparing you. But this this won't be the Dan Mullen spread. It's going to be a little different. Could be a low-scoring game though. Then you get Youngstown State. That's a W. Northern Illinois, man. Those guys are happy to see the SEC teams write those checks, right? So they should be three and one going to Oxford. Can they get win at Ole Miss? I think it's a toss-up game, and I think and number one, I think that's probably a game that I've got Kentucky winning, but it could go either way. Then you got South Carolina, you got Mississippi State, and then they're off. And where we're kind of sandwiched on the schedule, I think, is interesting because it's back-to-back home games, then a bye week. So, you know, we're going to have to bring our best effort, and we have not played well at Kentucky the last two times we've gone up there. Then they get Tennessee. Then they're at Missouri. They get Vanderbilt. And then it's Georgia and Louisville. I got them going eight and four. Four and four in the league. They could be a little bit better. Could be. You know, they're a team last year, like, real quickly, kind of looking back at, you know, last year's numbers. You know, we, we beat those guys last year, and we were the better football team. They went 10 and three last year. But we were better than Kentucky. And, again, I think that's the benefit of playing on their side of the league. But they get off to that great start. They beat E.O. Monroe. They sneak by Missouri in a game Missouri should have won. And then they barely beat UT Chattanooga, a game that the Chats gave away. Mock just let that game get away from them. And then they struggled to beat South Carolina. But they won. So they're 4-0, welcome in Florida. They beat those guys. And you're like, they can't score, but they're playing good enough defense to stay in ballgames. They're 5-0, and then they destroy LSU. So they're 6-0, and everybody's thinking, hey, they're rolling. They're going to beat Georgia, and they didn't. Oh, they're going to beat Mississippi State after a bye week, and they didn't. Oh, they're going to beat Tennessee, and they didn't. But it was a close game. And then they, they closed out beating Vanding, New Mexico, and Louisville. And then they win the bowl game there. But I, to be honest with you, I thought all of this was smoke and mirrors last year. They beat inferior competition, and then they beat Florida and LSU in a year where both teams fired their coach. So it's like, yeah, you got to play who's in front of you and take advantage of the opportunities around you. And they did. I just don't think they're very good. And I think that they're – I think this year the league is a little bit better, and I think their record uh, will show that. I think they're going to lose at Florida. I don't think there's any question they're going to lose there. Um, and you may not share that same level of optimism. they got to go to Tennessee. I like the volunteers there. They get Georgia at home. That's a loss right there. So that's three right out of the gate. And I think Mississippi State's going to get them. Maybe I'm wrong. And Ole Miss could get them, too. It just kind of depends on uh, the quarterback play at Ole Miss. I think after what we saw at Lexington two years ago when K.J. Costello just fell apart, I, I think we're going to go up there with a bit of an edge on our shoulder. I think we went up there. So I've got it 8-4. and four, But, again, I, I could see Kentucky going 7-5 and because I could see them losing to Vault Hemingway. You absolutely could. That was a big win last year for State. So, but I've got them fourth at 8-4. and four. You say, okay, well, Steve, so where, where does that leave you? Well, I've got Florida 
taken a step forward. And I understand last year they went six and six. The team quit. All right, so a new broom always sweeps clean. Billy Napier and those guys are used to winning. They've got a good staff in. The, the talent is there to win. And they probably shouldn't have even played in that ball game last year. Poor old Greg Knox saw his perfect record broken. Um, but, you know, they get off to the 2-0 start. They beat Florida Atlantic, and they, they win at South Florida. And they nearly beat Alabama, and everybody's thinking, hey, you know what? Mullen's got it going. And people forget they won the East in 2020. But you lose to Alabama again. They got behind on and rallied back. And you could argue they probably should have won the game. They didn't, but they probably should have. And little did we know, it. at this point, would you have ever envisioned Dan Mullen losing his job? They were 2-0 and and then narrowly lose to Alabama. You think, wow, that's a harbinger of things to come for Alabama because when Dan Mullen gets them in Atlanta again, he's going to beat them. Then they beat Tennessee 38-14 like a drum. Then they lose at Kentucky, and this is when things begin to get a little, little dicey here. Now, all of a sudden, you're 3-2. and two. You, you blast Vanderbilt. Okay, so we're 4-2. and two. You go to LSU, and they run all over you. At that point, they were out of the race for the SEC. No chance. None whatsoever. And then Georgia puts a bullet in you, 34-7, and an embarrassing loss. Georgia did whatever they wanted to do. And then the team gave up. They go to South Carolina and get routed by those guys and then they come back to beat Sanford 70-52. You recall Sanford had the lead in this thing late and just couldn't close. And then you lose to Missouri in overtime, and then you beat Florida State. And, of course, at the end of this point, it's over. It is so crazy to look at that Florida season now. I think you've got a team that's invested again. I think you've got a coaching staff that uh, is not ready to go out to their lake house. And I think, I think Florida's going to be better. I don't think they're going to be – ready to get to Atlanta. And I think they finish a couple of games out of the – maybe even three games out of the league lead. But this Florida game against Utah in week one, that could be interesting. That could really be interesting there. Coach Bumpus in the group coming in. I could see Utah winning that game. I think in the end, Florida wins, but I think that will be a very entertaining game to watch. That's a 6 p.m. game on ESPN. Maybe set your DVR for that one. Then you welcome Kentucky to the swamp after last year. Listen, if Billy can get 70, he will. Then you get South Florida coming in. So let's say you find a way to beat Utah. I mean, they could be 3-0 heading to Neyland Stadium. Maybe you even have a game day there. I like the volunteers at home. Then you got Eastern Washington, makes you four and one. Then Missouri, five and one. You got the Tigers of LSU coming in. Yeah, we'll kind of see how that goes. Let's give them, you know, give them a win here, six and one. And then you've got uh, Georgia. That's a loss, six and two. Then you got to go to Texas A and M. I'm going to give the Aggies the nod here. I think the Aggies will beat them, and I think South Carolina will stroll into Ben. Hill Griffin Stadium the next week and get beat soundly. And you've got Vanderbilt and Florida State. So I've got the Gators going 9-3 and three this year with losses to Tennessee, Georgia, and Texas A&M. But it could be worse. It could be. I mean, you lose to Utah, you lose to Kentucky. You know, you could see some things happening here. I think they beat Florida State, though. I, I think Billy and those guys will, will get a, do a good job here. And, again, third in the SEC 
a solid Florida bowl game and a step in the right direction. This Tennessee team, I don't know that they got enough credit last year. And not to mention, you know, give hype on those guys some credit too. You know, for as tight as they played last year, despite the fact they're, they're facing major NCAA sanctions. And when those things can roll down, who knows? We may all be dead and gone. But, uh, you know, that's a case that uh, Jeremy Pruitt and those guys, and they had staffers involved in the allegations. So we'll see how things progress. But, uh, you know, last year they struggled a little bit early on. They put Bowling Green away. They lose to Pitt in Neyland. Future Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback involved in that deal. Uh, Tennessee Tech, they blast those guys. They get shelled at Florida. That's another reason I think that Tennessee will be good to go this year. They'll be they'll be ready to get those guys back. They blow out Missouri. They blow out South Carolina. They lose at Ole Miss. Excuse me, they lose in Knoxville. That's the great mustard bottle game, right? And again, Tennessee fans, he was down short of the line of the game. He was. I wanted him to make that first down. I wanted Tennessee to win. But – Ole Miss makes a play, and the kid is short of the line of the game. You turn the ball over on downs. Then you got to go to Alabama. That's a loss. Uh, excuse me. They won that game. They lose that game last year. Uh, they win at Kentucky, lose to Georgia, beat South Alabama, and beat Vanderbilt, and then lose the ball game 48-45. I thought they would win that ball game. They didn't. Now, I think, and may, this may, may be completely wrong, I think Tennessee takes a really solid stride forward this year. Now, they're going to – I believe – I think they're going to open the season 4-0, at least. At least. You get Ball State, you're at Pitt, they're going to win that game. Then you get the Zips of Akron. Hello, Joe. And then you get Florida. So I think they're 4-0. Then they get the bye week. Then they got to go to LSU. Toss-up game, right? I got Tennessee winning it. The next week you got Alabama. That's a loss. Then you got UT Martin. Then you're home against Kentucky. That's normally a swing game, right? That's at home. Then you're at Georgia. That's a loss. You get Missouri at South Carolina Vanderbilt. So you get the benefit of a very, you know, once you get through Georgia, there's three wins waiting on you in the East. And so these guys, I think, could be that LSU game is a toss-up. Let's give it to them right now. I think they're a little bit farther established as an offense. You know, LSU still kind of early in the year. And Tennessee's coming off that bye week. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lend more to Tennessee. But, you know, they could be 9-3-2 and three, two, and then have the tiebreaker over Florida. And so, number one in the East, I don't know that uh, this should be a surprise to anybody. I got Georgia going undefeated. How about that? Now, last year, you know, I remember that SEC championship game when Alabama just jumped all over Georgia. We're like, holy smokes. It was like watching a team. like It was almost like Georgia brought a different team. It was crazy. Everybody was ready to, you know, put the nail in the coffin in Alabama. It worked out well in an Apple championship game. But, uh, you know, George, again, last year, they beat Clemson early on. I thought that was the only game they would lose in a regular season. They win it. The blast UAB, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, Arkansas. Remember that Arkansas game? People were like, Arkansas is ready to take the next step. The game was over five minutes in. 
They blast Auburn. They blast Kentucky. They blast Florida. They blast Missouri. They blast Tennessee. This defense, the numbers are put up defensively are just ridiculous. Blow out Charleston Southern. Blow out Georgia Tech. We're talking historic type defensive numbers here. And then Alabama puts up 41. It's insane to think about that. Absolutely insane. So let's look at this year's schedule. And it, it may sound a little bit silly. Other than the East being a little bit better, I think the schedule actually is a little bit easier than it was last year. You don't get Clemson. So you get Oregon and Atlanta. Georgia's winning that game. Then you get Samford. You're at South Carolina. The Kent State flashes and Mizzou. You've been outside. Think about that. And, and it gets easier. Then you get Auburn in Athens and then Vandy in Athens. So there's no reason to think they're going to even slow down before the bye week. They should be 6-0 going to the bye week, and the most difficult game is probably Oregon. Or 7-0, excuse me. They get the bye week before uh, the game with Florida. That's a dub. They host Tennessee. That's a dub. They're here at Mississippi State. That's a dub. Let's not kid ourselves. And then they're at Kentucky and then Georgia Tech. Look at that schedule. Where do you see a loss? And there's always some surprises, right? There's always somebody, there's a player, a transcendent player that comes along that uh, elevates a team. But, you know, Oregon is a team that uh, that's a long way to make the trip. And, you know, Oregon was a team last year that, um, you know, had a nice squad. You know, they, they had the last couple of years, but, uh, you know, 2020 was that abbreviated schedule. But, you know, they got 10-4 and four last year. And, uh, you know, lost a lot, lost the Pac-12 championship game to Utah, lost to uh, Oklahoma and the Alamo Bowl. Pretty rough de- year in the postseason, but a 10-2 and two team, and they returned some pieces off of that. But um, you know, that's the only real challenge, I think, in the first half of the schedule for Georgia. And then, you know, again, Georgia just seems to have Florida's number. And then you begin to think about, you know, the toss-up game with Tennessee. I don't know how much of a toss-up it is, but you get it at home. Auburn's a rivalry game, but you get it at home. So I don't see anything standing in the way of Georgia winning the East, and I think most of you probably feel the same way. I just I can't see that happening any other way, barring some major injuries. So that's the SEC East preview. Again, uh, 7-1, Vandy, Missouri, South Carolina, Kentucky, Florida, Tennessee, and Georgia. Some may disagree with me uh, with Kentucky, and that's okay. I just don't think – I don't see Kentucky winning against Georgia, Tennessee, or Florida, and that gives them three losses, and they would be the tiebreaker down to all those schools. And I think Mississippi State's going to get them. And Ole Miss could, again. But I think Tennessee is probably your, 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 probably your surprise team in the East, but still not good enough to beat Georgia. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by our friends at Portico. Let me go ahead and give you Brooks's number now. 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Brooks Bryan, friend of mine, friend of yours, friend of Mississippi State, part of a great group of folks bringing this wonderful residential development to Starkville Portico. Phase one completely sold out. Phase two under construction now. Ten houses being built. A couple of them already claimed. Still some time to kind of get involved and pick a lot and pick out your house plans, do some custom builds. Those other houses are going to be built to spec, and so they're going to be available too. Your new neighbor's already enjoying life there at Portico. Very easy to get to off 82, turn on the 12. Very first ride is Pat Station Road. It'll take you to Portico, 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. You've always dreamed of having a place here. 
maybe having a retirement home here, maybe a second home here, this is your opportunity. If I was moving to Starkville, Portico is where I would move. I'd like to be closer to campus. But uh, all that being said, that's kind of where we are. All right, let's, uh, let's jump in a couple things here before we get out of here. I've, I've got a lot going on and uh, some things, again, I can't talk about. It's like every time we get so close to stuff that uh, I get excited about it and I want to share with you guys. And we, Until we get some signed documentation, there's only so much I can say. But let me just tell you, there's some things in the works. Uh, that I'm excited about, and uh, once I can say more, I will. But right now, my excitement is about Mississippi State football. I understand it has not been the best of athletic years when you consider our, our, our athletic programs. And really, you know, we made a bowl game, and you know, we lose the Egg Bowl, we lose the, the bowl game, and had we won one of those two, I think the expectations around this season would be different. You know, we felt really good. You know, we beat Auburn last year. We beat A&M. We're like, hey, we're taking a step forward. And then we ended on such a sour note. Sour, sour, sour note. And so now people are like, well, what do you know? We can't lose three egg bowls in a row. And, and so a lot of people have to be, well, it's year three under Leach. Well, you know, that's not necessarily a guarantee of success because every program is a little bit different. You know, when Leach was at Texas Tech, you know, they go seven and five in 2000. And they lose the Gallery Furniture Bowl, so they end the year seven and six. They were fourth in the uh, Big Twelve South. In two thousand one, they're seven and five again. They lose the bowl game, and then they're four and four in the in the league. And then in year three, they're nine and five, winning record in the Big Twelve, and they win the Tangerine Bowl. So all of a sudden, things are good, you know. But at that point too, it kind of ushered in a run of eight and nine win type seasons and a pretty good string there of. Uh, you know, of teams that, that won bowl games, had a handful of them finished in the top 25. And then, of course, in 2008, you had the big one, 11-2, and two, and you lose to Ole Miss there in the Cotton Bowl. And that was an offense that was phenomenal. Mike's out of coaching for a while, comes back to Washington State, and Mike has told me he did not realize how devoid the program was of talent. So it took a little longer there. 2012, you're three and nine. You get to a bowl game in the second year. You go six and six. You lose the New Mexico Bowl, so losing record. Year three goes three and nine, because you were at the end of a talent cycle. But the next year, nine and four, and you win a bowl game. And then at that point, it's a consistent program. You know, again, eight nine win type years. Had the eleven win season in 2018. Won the Alamo Bowl. Finished top ten in the country. Um, and then you finish up 19 and move here. You know, six and six regular season, lose a bowl game. But Mississippi State, talent-wise, was not in the position Washington State was. And I would submit to you probably not even as bad as what Texas Tech was. And in 2020, it's just, you know, it's a crazy year. Of course, you win the bowl game. But, um, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an outlier. You can't really judge anybody based on that. I mean, it was just it was a tough year. But this is year three. And so those guys that kind of absorbed all of that, all of the adversity and all the craziness of 2020, those guys are now juniors or seniors. And people forget in 2020 we're the youngest team in the Power Five. And some people had us as the youngest team in the country. I don't, I don't know if that's possible, you know. Uh, but the reality of it is, is we took our lumps that year, and last year we got better. We took a step forward. We didn't end the way we wanted to. I mean, think about how we would feel today if State wins the egg and wins a bowl game and you end up with a nine-win season. You know, and it's easy to kind of go in hindsight and say, yeah, you know, we should have won nine last year. You know, we could have easily won five, too. We could have lost to Louisiana Tech and to, uh, and to Auburn. 
I mean, looking back last year's schedule, I mean, you, you made that great comeback to beat Tech, that awful pick six. I'm like, that was the end of the game. But we didn't quit. We had a great fourth quarter. Then we dominated UC State and many, NC State in many respects. Lose that game against Memphis in controversial fashion. And listen, LSU beat us 28-25, and everybody says, well, listen, the game was over. We made a run for it late, but um, LSU was just a bit better than us. And we beat A&M, hammer by Alabama. You hammer Vandy, hammer Kentucky. Lose the game, you probably shouldn't have lost to Arkansas. Probably should have won that game. You win one, you probably should have lost at Auburn. So it's kind of, you know, kind of half one way, six dozen the other. But, uh, or six one way, half a dozen the other, even point. But um, could have gone either way, but it is what it is, right? And so we finished fourth in the league last year. That's often lost in translation. I actually tied for third at four and four with Arkansas. You know, of course, a lot of people thought Arkansas had a great year last year. I thought Arkansas was good. I didn't think they were great. So we're in a three-way tie there with Arkansas and A&M. Finished ahead of Auburn and LSU. That's not going to happen very often. I think Auburn, as I told you guys, Auburn's going to be behind us this year. But um, I'm excited about football. Because I'm excited about Will Rogers. I think we've got the quarterback situation resolved. And, of course, there's all these people that think, oh, we, well, we would be throwing vertical if we had a bigger arm quarterback. It's not really the scheme. It's just not. It's just not the scheme. And it's because of how people play defensive against us. And Woody Marks, now a junior. Dylan Johnson, now a junior. Jaden Wallach, now a junior. And so now you've had the benefit of two SEC seasons. And, again, I think we're going to take a step forward. Do we contend for the West? No, I don't think so. We could be better or worse than I suspect. I think we finish 8-4 and four in the regular season. But I don't understand why we have some folks already kind of quitting on the season. And I'm, I'm going to encourage you today. I'm not going to sit here and tell you how to act or how to believe or how to behave. I just want to share with you that, you know, this is a team that did some amazing things last year that you didn't expect. I suspect that's going to be the case this year. Now, the Mike Leach experience has been you usually win a game you shouldn't win. You lose a game you shouldn't lose. And that was the case last year. But I suspect that this team, on the strength of a very good defense, and this is going to be, I, I think, has the potential to be Zach Arnett's best defense at Mississippi State. Well, Steve, how can you say that? Well, because I think we're going to be really strong in the front seven. We're going to be really strong at corner. We should be better at safety. Are we going to be really strong there? That, that's the personnel group that concerns me a little bit. You got some depth there. But I don't know if you've got the production there just yet. And I think that, you know, that second team linebacker group, you know, we can't afford to really get anybody hurt at linebacker. We don't have a lot. Deshaun Page is a guy we expect big things from. But, you know, we can't absorb uh, too much, you know, wear and tear there at the linebacker position. But I think with the strength of the fact that the, this offensive nucleus that has played together now for two years and then a defense that I think is as talented or more talented than any that we've had since Mike has been here, I think that there's some makings of a good team. And people, they get caught up in the talking points at the moment. Well, Mississippi State's got a difficult schedule. We always have a difficult schedule. Always have a difficult schedule. We play in the SEC West. And so until they change that, that's kind of what we're dealing with. So I never let that bother me. It's not ever anything that I look at. And I, I begin to think about this schedule. You know, State has a really good chance to win all four to non-conference games. And let, let's say, you know, worst case scenario, it's three and one. But I believe you're going to win all four. I think we're going to go to Arizona and win. I do. And so then all of a sudden you begin to think, well, if we can do as good as we did last year in the league, we're eight and four. 
Now, does that mean you're going to beat A&M and Auburn? I don't think you beat them both. But when you start running through the numbers here and you look, okay, A&M's got to come to Starkville. We have had a great deal of success against those guys for whatever reason. And I think we'll be ready to play. And that's, again, that that's coming off, you know, you know, probably a three-and-one start. Bowling Green, hopefully that's a game that we can rest some guys in the fourth and be a little fresher. Then you got Arkansas coming in. You know, they've beaten us two years in a row. We should have won both of those games. We didn't. They made the plays to win, and we didn't. But the reality of it is it's really been our own ineptitude rather than Arkansas overwhelming us. You know, we couldn't get a stop last year to win the ball game. And even with that, we had a chance to get out and kick a game-time field goal. we got to go to Kentucky. It's always a dogfight. But that's a team, again, we've had some success with in the past 20 years. And then Auburn and Georgia come here. So you look at it and you say, well, you know what? There's not a lot of margin for error here to get to 4-4 four and four in the league. you got to go to Ole Miss, and I don't think Ole Miss is going to be as good as people expect. Uh, they were better than I expected them to be last year. And they, they could be again. I, I just, with all they've lost, and I think you lose a generational talent like Matt Corral, who, who I think exceeded everybody's expectations uh, last year, I think we're going to go in there and win that ball game. And so you basically trade Vanderbilt for Georgia. And that's a game, you know, that's a game you can, you're not expected to win. So that, you know, that would make you maybe three and five. But I think you've got to find a way – to win one you didn't win last year, and I think that's probably Arkansas. But I think we can get A&M. I think we can. I believe we'll get Arkansas. I believe we'll get Georgia. I believe we'll get Auburn. Excuse me. I believe we'll get Kentucky. I believe we'll get Auburn. We won't get Georgia. We've got a chance to get Ole Miss. So we could go 4-4, four and four, potentially 5-3 and three in the league. To me, the only two sheer losses are Alabama and Georgia. That's the only two I look at and say we're definitely going to lose those games. I think Mike Leach is going to have us in every game. Now, going down the Death Valley is always tough. I never expect to go down there and win. And we have – but I never expected. But this is, again, I think it's okay to have a little enthusiasm. I think this is a guy, too, that's going to do a great job for us. And I think when you look at – if you know Will Rogers at all, you got to know he's going to bring his best effort this year. And I think the supporting cast around him is outstanding. Yes, you've got to replace Makai Polk, but I think the system itself kind of lends itself to productivity. Maybe Caleb Ducking picks up some of that slack. Maybe it's Justin Robinson. Maybe it's Jordan Mosley. But offensively, and like, I, and I have, I have friends of mine. It's like they'll just sit around one day, and all of a sudden decide to have a pity party. I think the offensive line is going to struggle. Well, the offensive line didn't struggle last year, other than the right tackle position. I think Albert Reese done a good job over there. I, th- I think we're going to be better at right tackle. We won't be as good at left tackle. There's no way. But I think the interior offensive line is going to be very good. And you know, you look at our numbers. You know, snap and sack. Percentage-wise, it's among the best in the country. You know, people only remember, you know, the ones that were significant. You know, all offensive line struggling, but then when you look at how many times we're dropping back to pass that and how many times that our quarterback actually goes down, it's different. And, of course, some of that's Will, too. Will can't hold the ball quite as long, and that's part of maturation, and he's getting there. But I think we're going to have a good year. Is it going to be a great year? I'm not ready to make that, that declaration. And you never know what teams are going to look like when you play them. But I think we're going to have a good year. I think we're a solid bowl team again, and I think it's okay. But, again, if we go 8-4 and four in the regular season and win the egg, you're going to be thrilled. You're going to go, hey, we had a good year. We're going in the right direction. And I believe that's the year you're going to get. Maybe I'm wrong. If you're looking for books, and you should be, go to dogpiledabook.com. I had a book signing this weekend at Lemuria Books. It was thankful for everybody that came in. Uh, it was great, kind of a good pace where I could kind of visit with people. 
wasn't like the big line of 20 people to begin with. The people kind of filtered in. I got there a little bit early just for that reason. Had a great book signing. Thank you guys so much for coming out. But if you're looking for books, go to dogpilebook.com. You can get all my sports books there. Flim Flam, Dogpile, Stark Villains, Alpha Dogs. We're they're about to do an inventory because got about 6,000 new copies of Dogpile coming in. How about that? You know, we for a long time, we kind of slowed down the promotion a little bit because we want to run out of books. And so many of you said, well, I'll just wait. And the second printing's in. So that's this week. So get in line, dogpilethebook.com. It's Father's Day. Your summer reading time is here. You need something to read. And, and even if you're not a big reader, you just need to have this one in your house. You need to have this as a keepsake. I have so many people that have bought multiple copies just for that very reason. Uh, so be sure and check it out. Go to, go to Amazon.com to get Bloom's Bolliander. And, of course, uh, there's a lot that goes with that as well. You know, that was a different part of me. Stark Villains gear, always available at StarkVillains.com. We'll be back on Wednesday. We'll be getting ready to preview Super Regionals, and we'll get ready to preview Top Dog Weekend. And, again, that's, that's going to be on Friday. So we'll have a programming note for you on, uh, on Wednesday about Friday's show, once I know the time and uh, what time we can get out there and uh, go to camp and see those guys. So I suspect we'll be able to do a Friday show, maybe do it Thursday night, and then have one on Monday to kind of recap how the camp went. That's kind of the plan today. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.